0: bibles to jeremiah jeremiah uh, genesis chapter 39 genesis chapter 39 now we really just covered verses 1 through 4 last time we were together i did say we were going to do 1 through 12 but i'm going to split it up we did 1 through 4 last time we're going to cover now 5 through 12 here this evening and cover the rest of the these verses and the title of is Joseph's Great Temptation. Joseph's Great Temptation. And we're going to see the, the methods that Satan uses to tempt people, as well as we're going to see the uh, remedies for conquering temptation. Even though Joseph was a slave, he was an excellent witness for the Lord in front of Potiphar, <clears throat> his boss, basically. And we see this in verse 3 here. Look at verse 3. Again, we're not going to go uh, in order, but we're going to hop from uh, uh, verse to verse here as we cover the chapter. Verse 3 says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. So this verse not only says that Joseph was an excellent witness for God in front of Potiphar, but that the quality of his witness had a lot to do with how well Joseph performed his job. And we mentioned earlier that Joseph worked so well that he was promoted to overseer in Potiphar's house. And here we see that his quality of work caused Potiphar to see the Lord's fingerprints on everything that Joseph did. Now let this be a lesson for us this evening, that if we want to be a good witness for the Lord— And we want to give proof that he is with us and he's helping us. We can't be lazy in our work for God or whatever we do in the name of the Lord. God may be with us and he may want to help us with our work, but if we're poor stewards of his presence and power, we won't prosper on the job. We won't do well in our work resulting in being a bad witness for the Lord. If Joseph would have behaved in a negative way, because of his situation, which he could have, you know, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. Now he's in a foreign land. You know, he's working for, a, for, for a, a, somebody that's, that's just, that's his boss, and he's now a slave. If he would have acted negative because of his situation, and all he did was complain <clears throat> and did his work half-heartedly, he wouldn't have prospered in his work he wouldn't have had a good testimony for the Lord and for the man that he was working for and all those that were around him. You know, it's like a lot of Christians. You know, J- Joseph may have witnessed to Potiphar about God and his faith in God, but Potiphar wouldn't have been, a bit, been very impressed if there were no works to back up his words, which is common, a, a common problem among Christians and their testimony. James said, see, you, you, so you see, he says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds. Otherwise, it's it's a faith that's dead and useless. Now, somebody might argue, like James in chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. Somebody might say, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But James says, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You know, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless, James says? Joseph's witness teaches us two things. First, it's a slap on the wrist, it's a rebuke for those who say they're Christians, but when they're on the job, they don't show it in their work. They do just enough, enough to keep their job. Do only what's required of them and no more. Now these are the ones we often take that, that often take long breaks, or so they're always, you know, complaining about management and, and, and conditions at work. The last one's in and the the first one's out. Late or often absent. You know, they're just interested in getting a paycheck. They're not concerned about their performance. And then they wonder why they get low performance reviews. They go to church. They witness to their co-workers. They carry a Bible. They quote scripture. They invite them to church to do all the things that you'd expect a Christian to do. But they have no witness. They cuss, tell dirty jokes you know just kind of act like the world if christians want to have a good witness for god we need to do a quality job you expect quality work don't you from your mechanic your doctor your contractor you have to be a conscientious, you have to be conscientious and you have to have a cheerful and good natured spirit don't complain about the overtime or, or, you know, that you have to work, uh, even if it might be unfair or it might be your, your pay might not be what it should be or could be. You know, when, when, when those were getting saved, when, when uh, John the Baptist was preaching and they were coming up to John the Baptist and they were asking him, now that I'm saved, what should we do? Well, in Luke three fourteen, the soldiers asked, G, asked John the Baptist, what shall we do? He told them, be content with your wages. And when you act appropriately, you'll find out that your witness will be very obvious without having to say a word. They'll ask you, why do you do more than, than, than what you're asked to do? You see, the way you work says everything. The way you work can be a really strong witness for the Lord. And then... Your witness can be an encouragement to those who think that they don't have the opportunity and the ability to witness because their daily duties are lowly. Maybe they're not in a in a in a, in a you know a high placed job. They're not in, in a job where everybody will see their work, and then they think, "How can I be a goodness, a good witness when I'm not when I'm a nobody and nobody sees what I do?" Well, Paul said in Ephesians 6, 5 through 7, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for the people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do. And I read that from the New Living Translation. But Paul was exhorting the people, the, the, the slaves of that day, the, the employees of that day to work for their earthly masters with deep respect and fear. He said, and try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you, but do it with, a, with, with you know, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working, you know, you're working for the Lord rather than for the people. Some people think they have to be in a high profile position to be noticed. An important position in order to be seen to be a good witness for the Lord. And a lot of people in the church today also think like this. They feel like, how can I be a good witness for the Lord when when I'm a nobody? But Joseph here shows how to be a good witness for the Lord. To be faithful in our duties no matter how lowly our position might be. And remember, people might not see you, but what's important is how God sees you. Keep this in mind, that it's the common, everyday duties in life, not the spectacular jobs that reveal your faith in who you really are. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Notice that. Not brilliant, not eloquent, not talented, faithful. Brilliance and eloquence and, 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 and talents, it's wonderful. But if you're not faithful at what you do, those things are not really that helpful. That's why Paul said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. He says, don't cause others to stumble, whether they are Jewish, Greek, or members of the church of God. He says, I try to please everyone in every way. I don't think about what would be good for me, but about what would be good for many people so that they might be saved. That's what we always have to remember. We are wanting to be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ that people might be saved. That they might see something in you. They says, you know, I'd like to have that. I'd like to be like that individual. Anybody can talk about how loyal they are to the Lord. But being loyal in lowly places in life, that's a different story. You don't have to carry a Bible or, or cover your car with bumper stickers. You know, to show people your faith, it will show clearly by the way you speak, act and do your everyday duties. And if it doesn't show up, uh, if, if it doesn't show up your, your, your profession of faith, might be questionable. And it might be hypocritical if it doesn't show up in your profession of faith. So when Potiphar bought Joseph as a slave, Potiphar didn't know what a, what a good deal he was getting. He got, he got way more than he, than he expected, I'm sure. He got a lot more than what he bargained for. Let's look at verse five now chapter 39 so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the lord blessed the egyptian's house for joseph's sake and the blessing of the lord notice was on all that he had in the house and in the field because of joseph the man that he worked for was blessed big time Everything that Potiphar had was blessed by God because of Joseph. You see, the key to the comfort and security of Potiphar's house was having Joseph's godly presence there. You know what? And this is really the key to any society or nation, the presence of godly people. The world does not know what it owes to you guys tonight, to Christians all over the world. Because Christians are so much more worth so much more than all of its manpower and resources put together. You know, a nation does need a strong, a good and strong military. But its best protection comes from having godly citizens. Having righteous people was clearly demonstrated in the case of Sodom. And we learn from Abraham's prayer for that city that God would not destroy it if he could find ten righteous people in that city. Just ten. God said, Abraham, if, I, if you can just find, show me just 10 good people in that city, I'll spare it. I won't destroy it. Again, this shows us how valuable godly people are. It tells us the reason that judgment hasn't fallen on a lot of places in the world, because there are godly people there. You know, today we see the world mock and belittle and tear down truth. But that doesn't change anything. And you might not feel like you're valuable, special, or important. But if you are godly, you might be very important to keeping judgment away from your society and for bringing the blessing of God upon it. Solomon said in Proverbs thirteen thirty four, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What a great blessing the godly are to any society. And only eternity one day is going to reveal the fullness of that truth. Now, Potiphar, he lost heavenly blessings when he failed to support Joseph, as we'll see in a few minutes. Because Potiphar allowed his wife to mistreat godly Joseph, and as a result, Joseph was removed from Potiphar's house. That's how Potiphar lost his blessings. And it it shows us that when people fail to support the godly, the blessings will be removed from them. Whether it's nations, governments, communities, schools, churches. You cannot favor the ungodly, no matter who they are, or you will experience the loss. And this chapter is one of the most instructive lessons on temptation found in the Bible. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph into having sex with her, but Joseph would not yield to all of her attempts. And from the way Potiphar's wife behaved, we can learn some of the ways of temptation. And then from Joseph, the way of Joseph behaved, we can learn some of the ways to get victory over temptation. And it's sad to see that there are a lot of ruined lives in the church today. Today, Due to giving in to temptation. Not to mention the millions of ruined lives in the world. And that's why these lessons need to be taught more seriously and more often. And they need to be paid attention to more seriously and more faithfully. Because it's no joke. Sin is no joke. This passage of scripture needs to be studied so well. That it can save our life from moral disaster and eternal loss. And from this passage, there are several things that we can learn about temptation identified by Potiphar's wife. The first lesson learned about temptation is that temptation is visual. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 39. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. Look at what it says now in the end of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The New Living Translation says Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Mrs. Potiphar had her eyes on him. She allowed her eyes to dwell on what was forbidden. One of the most effective approaches of sin is our eyes. We are always looking. And Satan knows this. And he uses it and he takes advantage of this. The eyes, man. The the Bible shows us the history of sin because of the eyes. And these are just a few examples. In Genesis 3, 6, that's how it all started. It says that Eve saw Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable. And she sinned because of what she saw. She entertained the thought about the, the, about the tree that was forbidden by God. The eyes looked at it, saw how desirable it was, and she took from it. In Genesis thirteen ten. it says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw. When Lot and Abraham went out and and, and they got so big and their sheep, their their herds were so big that they couldn't hang together because there wasn't enough pasture land. So he says, Lot, you, you pick whatever you want and I'll take whatever's left over. And it says that Lot lifted his eyes and he saw. And it says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And we see how that story went. He mentioned, he he first pitched his tent towards Sodom and then he got closer and closer until he was in Sodom and became a part of the community. And God destroyed that that city. We also read that, that Achan confessed, it says that he confessed, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Josh, Joshua chapter 7 verse 21 Achan saw these valuables and he said I coveted them I wanted them and I took them David in 2nd Samuel 11:2 it says then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house and from the ro- roof he saw a woman bathing And it says the woman was very beautiful to behold, very beautiful to look at. Instead of David, when he first saw her turning around and going away, he he dwelled on her. He saw her bathing; she was very beautiful, and he fell into sin with her. All of these examples here—all these people—fell into serious sins because they did not protect their eyes. They let their eyes feast on and entertain what God had forbidden and as a result, they fell into great foolishness. Solomon says in Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Isn't that true? Our eyes are never satisfied. The latest big screen comes up. Oh, I got to have that. The latest model of a car. Oh, I got to have that. Or the latest whatever. I want that. I see it. I want it. David said in Psalm 101.3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I think if we we're honest, we'd have to admit one of the biggest snares for the our eye is our TV. Our TV. There's plenty of other things. And in all honesty, it's hard to justify having one. And, and I'm, clu- I'm talking about myself too. And we'll all defend having one. And even though we may watch nothing but good programs, what about the commercials in between? Many of them go way overboard today. We see sexuality, we see sensuality, we see alcohol, homosexuality. The second thing that we see about sin is it's versatile. If Satan can, can, can suck you in one way, if he can't suck you in one way, he'll try another. That's what he tried to do with Joseph. Before anything happened with Potiphar's wife, Satan tried to get Joseph through other areas of temptation. Satan used to dis, used despair. Satan used, his, to, uh, used despair from the very beginning when his brothers hated him and wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery. But the temptation of Potiphar's wife, now, this was a new thing. This was in the area of delight. If despair doesn't work, Satan says, I'll use delight. Delight in the physical realm of pleasures. If the tempter can't get you through despair, he'll, he'll, he'll raise the ante to pleasure. If pain doesn't get to you, he'll try pleasure. All pleasure, pleasure usually works best of the two. Persecution from the world has not hurt the church like popularity with the world. The sword, that is death, hasn't hindered church attendance as much as sports has. And because temptation is versatile, we have to guard every facet of our lives from evil. It's interesting how much sports are played on TV on Sundays. Satan knows. No area of our life is safe if it's unguarded. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 22 through 27, keep your heart with all diligence. The word keep means to guard. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it, your heart, spring the issues of life. Notice now what Solomon says to protect the heart. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Watch how you speak. Put perverse lips far from from you. Watch what you say. Notice, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. In other words, like blinders on a horse. Look straight ahead. Ponder the feet of your path. Watch where you go. And let all your ways be established. And he says, do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. That's why Paul said we have to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there is is, is from the Greek. uh, We get our um, it's in the Greek word methodia, which we get our English word method. It's the trickery of the devil. And then a third lesson about temptation is that it's honorable. Evil many times dresses it dresses nicely. Satan many times uh, makes makes evil look respectable and important. That's what evil looked like with this with his master's wife here. She looked and acted respectable when she tried to get Joseph to accept and follow through with her wickedness, her wicked request in verse seven. There, when he, she said, "Come lie with me," and because it. it, it because she was his master's wife, it made the temptation stronger and more appealing. You see, if this was the enticement of another slave, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been as easy to say, to say no. Or a lot easier to say no. But this was Potiphar's wife. This temptation is coming from his master's wife. It made it it seem more uh, permissible, acceptable, and safe. But all of this is simply a deceptive part of temptation. Again, you think of it, he could could have looked at it like, well, you know, this is Potiphar's wife. You know, if if I lie with her, you know, she may put in a good word for me with her husband for, for my employment. This may help me on my job. But again, it's it's just another deceptive part of temptation. Sin is sin whether it's offered by by, an evil person on the street or by a man that has wealth in a mansion. Sin is still sin whether the laws of the land legalize it or not. So much evil is well-respected, well-educated, well-dressed, well-spoken. A lot of evil is even angelic. That's what Paul said, don't forget, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Paul used the word transform in referring to the devil's work. And this Greek word simply means to disguise or to masquerade. There is a change on the outside, but there's no change on the inside. And Satan's workers, like Satan himself, they never show themselves in their true character. We never see the true character of the devil. They always wear a disguise and hide behind a mask. Like alcohol and tobacco and and, and gambling and and abortion and all these issues that we see going on today, they're all made to look acceptable and respectable. And and Satan is a master at glorifying sin and dignifying, degrading uh, sins. We need to watch out for for that false advertising. The fourth thing that we learn, the fourth lesson that we learn about uh, temptation is it's timely. Satan knows when to bring about a temptation. Potiphar's wife's temptation was timely, timing is everything. Just the right time makes temptation more effective. And in Joseph's case, the clever timing of temptation is seen in a couple of ways. First, the temptation came after Joseph had experienced a lot of success in his work for Potiphar. Verse 3 says that he prospered in all of his work and as a result, he was uh, promoted to overseer. The overseer of Potiphar's uh, house and he found favor with Potiphar. Look at verse 7 again. It says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, "Lie with me." After these things, all after all of these wonderful successes that he had with Potiphar, then she hits him. The temptation comes. The devil knows the best time to strike. And, I, and I've mentioned this before that one of the most vulnerable times for giving into temptation is after a while or, or a time that you've experienced success. Reason being because when everything is going good and, and, and everything is, you know, is is just going the way of, of, of the Lord, I will let my guard down. And that makes us an easy victim for temptation. Because in the areas that we think we're strong, we get careless and we let our guard down and here comes Satan. Then we see a second evil. Okay, it was time, and then it it, it came during a time of secrecy. In other words, in her last try to seduce Joseph, she waited, notice, until all the men were gone that were in the house. That's when she made her move. When everybody was gone, then she seduced joseph we need to be discerning when it comes to temptation a lot of uh, christians have allowed themselves to be in private situations that have resulted in their ruin you know and and, you know again when i was doing premarital counseling or i'd have a a couple call me and say hey you know I, i fell into sexual sin with my girlfriend um you know, they, they, they went somewhere where they were alone. When you go on dates, you have to use wisdom and you have to stay away from those secluded places where you're by yourself, where you're all alone. When Joseph found himself in this position, it says he fled, he took off, and so should we. Look at verse 10 now. So it was as she spoke to Joseph, notice day by day, this was ongoing. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. The temptation, here's the next thing we, we learn about temptation, is persistent. Satan doesn't give up. He doesn't give up easy. He will try to wear you down. That's why we must never let our guard down. Satan will wait for your weakest point. The next thing, the next lesson about temptation was, is it's deceitful. It's subtle and it's sneaky and often entices the innocent. It's obvious in verse 10, it says, He did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. When Joseph wouldn't give in to lie with her, she went into high gear. She said, okay, just come and lay by me and keep me company. She knew if she could at least get him to lie down with her, it, it would be all over. It's like the believer who wants to defend their their, their their dating of an unsaved person. And Paul said not to be unequally yoked, the believer with an unbeliever. They say many, and I've heard it so many times. Oh, you know, oh, I would never, I wouldn't marry this person because they're not saved. They only want to date them, or they say I'm dating them to witness to them. But we need to remember: any toleration of evil is a step in the wrong direction. All it takes for evil to succeed is that first step. There is no give and take with evil; it's all take. Satan gives nothing. He takes it all from you. Potiphar's wife had a goal. And it was to go all the way with Joseph. And she wanted nothing less. She went from lie with me to lie by me to be with me. And if Joseph had given in to any of her requests, he would have ended up having sex with her. You can't compromise with evil and come out righteous and victorious. The sixth lesson about temptations is it's aggressive. It's aggressive. Matthew Henry said this, It was Joseph's place to obey her and his interest to oblige her. It was at his utmost peril if he slighted her and made her his enemy. But the greatest pressure came in verse 12 look at verse 12 that she noted she caught him by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside she would put so she was so aggressive she would put so much pressure on joseph that he would have to yield to her unless he was very dedicated in his resistance against evil James says in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know, many times people quote this verse, but they leave out verse 7. Submit to God. They just, oh, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. No, he doesn't leave that easy. Submit to God. Obey God, walk in the spirit with God, submit to him, then the devil will, will, will then you can resist the devil and he will flee. and then draw to get near to God and he'll draw near to you. Remember in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, Satan approached Jesus four times and tempted him four different times, each time Satan came back with the word of God, and then it says, and then Satan left him. He'll be back. But you use the same, the same uh, uh, formula, if you will. Use fight back with the word of God. Don't argue with the devil. Don't, don't, don't talk with him. Don't have dialogue with him like Eve did back in Genesis chapter 3. She talked with him. She, she, you know, he listened, she listened to the devil. And, and, and he got the best of her. She knew what God's word was. God told her, do not eat of that tree. So she knew what she was supposed to do. But she talked with Satan. She had this communication, and he eventually talked her into it. Evil can be very aggressive when evil is trying to corrupt you. And evil comes in many forms. But whatever form it comes in, it tries to make you believe you have no way out. I've heard several times, I couldn't resist. No, it's not that you couldn't, you didn't. You didn't resist. And then many people try to justify what they do based on the idea, I didn't have any other choice. It was just, it was just you know, beyond my control, beyond my power. Now, in some cases, you see people say, well, you know, I'll lose my job if I don't go social drinking you know, at business parties. I'll lose my job if I don't falsify records or lie about a certain incident. That it's the only way to get along in life. But none of these arguments justify sin. We never have to sin, so never give in to the pressure of temptation. Joseph was triumphant over temptation. But it wasn't an accident. You see, you defeat temptation by reacting in a certain way. It is not an accident. Paul said there's no temptation that you cannot escape from. Now, we learned several lessons about temptation. Now let's learn from Joseph's behavior some of the ways that we can escape temptation and be victorious, be victors and not victims. First of all, Joseph was quick thinking. When it comes to temptation, you have to be quick thinking. Every time Potiphar's wife called to Joseph, he just aggressively refused Again, notice in verse 10, it says, he did not heed her. He didn't pay any attention to her. He didn't discuss the issue with her, as Eve discussed the issue with Satan in Genesis. Verse 12 says, notice, he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. This behavior, this is the behavior of certainty. Certainty. We have to be firm and we have to be forceful when we're dealing with temptation if we're going to overcome it successfully. The second lesson that we can learn from Joseph is that Joseph was honest. Joseph was honest. If I insist on living a life integrity, you won't become a victim of temptation. In verse 8, Joseph reminded her, Your husband has committed all that he has to my hand. In other words, he told Mrs. Potiphar, Your husband trusts me. He trusts me. The third thing, the third lesson that we learn from Joseph for overcoming temptation is that Joseph was discerning. Look at verse 9. Joseph was discerning. Joseph said, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. This is powerful. Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, Joseph saw sin the way God saw sin. Sin is a great wickedness. J.R. J. R. Bailey said this, he who has learned to call the sin to which he is tempted this great wickedness has already won half the battle. In order for Satan to get the victim to yield to sin, he likes to make the sin less offensive in order to make it more appetizing and more acceptable. Satan wants to make it no big deal. You aren't, you aren't hurting anybody. Many sins today have been given nice names. Alcoholism is a disease. Lust is called sex addiction. It's a medical problem. Homosexuality is an alternate lifestyle. Abortion is called pro-choice. Gluttony is food addiction. Bible calls them all sin. And sin needs to be correctly called by what it is, if we're going to get victory over it. Because if we don't call it sin, think about this. What did Jesus die for? Sin. If we don't call it sin, there's no remedy for it then. Think about it. Now, how do we get a discerning spirit when it comes to sin? It comes through acquaintance with divine revelation, the word of God. Psalm 119 104, the psalmist says, Through your precepts, Lord, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. When I learn, when I know the word of God, I will recognize everything that's false. Think about it. Joseph didn't didn't have the written word of God. He didn't have a Bible. But he had knowledge. He wasn't without knowledge of divine revelation. It had been passed on to him by word of mouth. The fourth thing that we learn about getting victory over temptation is that Joseph was God honoring. Do we honor God? Temptation will have a hard time defeating us if we glorify God in everything that we do. And again, that's why Paul said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph. And Joseph said in verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what I like about that verse? He says, How can I? That one letter. How can I? Joseph says, I'm somebody special. How can I? A child of God do this great wickedness and sin against God. You say, we don't sin against anybody else. Our, what we, our sin may affect them. But I'm sinning against God and God alone for which, for why Christ died. Joseph knew a truth that we all need to know and that is sin is against God. It dishonors him. It's the honor of God that motivated Joseph to keep sin pure. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in this body. If you fear sin because you might get caught or you might get in trouble or for any other reason than it dishonors God, these reasons are only physical and not spiritual. The fifth thing that we learn about Joseph's victory over temptations is that Joseph was steadfast. He was unwavering in his relationship with God. His response to temptation was an immediate no every time he was seduced. When you continue to be steadfast, unwavering in holiness, it will bring the blessed victory, fruit of victory over evil every time. Being steadfast, unwavering in your relationship with the Lord. Unwavering in holiness. The sixth thing that we learn about Joseph and his temptation over, uh, his victory over temptation is Joseph was separated. Separated. Joseph not only refused to do evil, he also refused to be with the one who wanted to do evil. He wanted nothing to do with her. Verse 10 again says, he did not heed her to lie with her or to even be with her. He didn't even want to be around her. Separation is a good habit in any age and is very effective for defeating temptation. You know the old saying, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Stay away from the fire. William M. Taylor said this, to maintain a holy life, you must separate from many people, places, philosophies, and practices. The seventh thing that we learn about why Joseph was victorious over temptation was Joseph was quick. He was quick. And he made the problem short. It wasn't a long-lasting problem. See, it becomes a, a long problem, big problem, when we entertain it, when we think about it, when we try to justify it. Who will I hurt? Who won't I hurt? Who will it affect? Who won't it affect? It's not that big a deal, or is it that big a deal? Joseph was quick to say no. And he made short of the problem. Our response to temptation cannot be slow or it will overcome us. When Potiphar's wife grabbed Joseph by his garment, by his clothes, his robe, you know, he took it off immediately and he just ran. Verse 12 again says, He left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran outside. If he would have hesitated he would have defiled his body. Hey, when a poisonous snake is poised to to strike, hey, it's no time to think about it. Is he going to bite me or is he not? No. When he's poised to strike, his purpose is one and its intent is to, to strike you. And you better move quick while you can. Speak up before it's too late. Don't worry about who might get upset. Now, Potiphar's wife really got upset. And as we'll see as we go through the study, it resulted in Joseph suffering greatly, even going to prison unjustly because she accused him of rape when he wouldn't lie with her. And her husband believed her and had Joseph arrested. You see, he suffered for righteousness' sake. But it's way better to suffer in prison for purity's sake in Joseph's case than to lose his purity, dishonoring himself, but even a greater sin, dishonoring God. In closing, to keep your life in such good spiritual health, you will have to react immediately without delay. So as we come to the end here of Joseph's temptation we see that Joseph's purity was more than just talk. Joseph didn't just talk he walked the talk. He did what he claimed to do. He backed up who he said he was. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I Somebody who loves God and is faithful to God and committed to God and wants to honor God and serve God. How can I do this wicked thing? It didn't didn't matter where he was or what situations he got into. He practiced holiness, purity. And we need to do the same thing. And we have to honor earnestly follow joseph's example because it's a critical factor in victorious christian living father we thank you once again for joseph's life lord we thank you for the lessons that we learn from joseph god father continue to teach us that we may grow in the grace and the knowledge of god lord that our character might flourish And that, Father, our integrity will increase, God. And that our holiness won't waver. As it says in Hebrews, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our salvation hinges upon holiness. So, Father, we thank you. And let us remember these these lessons here in these particular verses, God. The things that Satan uses and then the things that gave Joseph victory over temptation. We thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.